Well, today we are in kind of the last sermon in this series called Practicing Resurrection. And we've been talking about uh, living into the truth that we gather weekly to profess, namely what we say on Easter together when we say Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, that we worship a, a resurrected Lord, a living Lord. And as we live into that promise of his presence, we're discovering especially what it means to live into that promise and how it works itself out in our lives, even though we are also dealing with the corresponding seeming contradiction to that truth, because we know that in one sense he is not here, uh, that he has gone away from us and will come again, but yet is very much a part of us and with us at the same time. And so we've been talking about how that works itself out and the, the dilemmas and the assurances that come to us as we work through that apparent contradiction. And so today we're finishing up and continuing with the passage that we were looking at last week, the Pentecost passage. The red in the sanctuary today is because today is Pentecost Sunday, the red being the symbol of the fire of the Holy Spirit. And as we continue with this and look at the early church's experience on Pentecost and the experience of the presence of God in and through the Holy Spirit, last week we looked at the description of that scene with the, the amazing breaking of boundaries that took place as those boundaries of language came down and the apostles began to speak in tongues in, in languages that could be understood by the host of people who were in Jerusalem to celebrate that festival. And picking up on where we left off in verse 13 this last time, people were asking as they experienced this, what does this mean? What's going on? And others were scoffing, saying, no, they're just a bunch of drunk Galileans. And that prompts Peter to preach a sermon. That's what we're going to read today is Peter's sermon on Pentecost. And Peter essentially says, no, something bigger than drunkenness is going on here. So picking up in verse 14 of chapter 2 of the book of Acts. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You that are Israelites, listen to what I say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified 
and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. For seeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Let's pray. Lord God, enlarge our stunted imaginations. Help us by your power to persevere in the journey to which you've called us. And as we come around each bend and open up to that new experience of the broad and open space into which you're delivering us, Lift our hearts in praise and empower us to continue the journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, my title is the word deliverance, and it's a word that carries with it a promise that ultimately, I think, as Christian people, we think about a deliverance into the new life. And ultimately, that new life with God in, in heaven, that place of ultimate consummation of the prophecies and of Jesus' message, that place of being eternally in the presence of God, that place of ultimate rest, of Sabbath rest. It's arrival. We view it, that word deliverance, as the end of a struggle, of being freed and never being enslaved again. 
and we ultimately see that in heaven. Yet I have to tell you that if that was the essence of the gospel, that we only experienced that ultimately in heaven, I would have to say, well, God, why didn't you just put us there in the first place? The deliverance about which the scriptures speak is a deliverance that is a, a constant experience for the people of God, a moving from bondage into freedom and and then realizing there's an even greater freedom beyond that freedom, that the journey continues. And if the truth were told about what we have kind of convinced ourselves about heaven, we have to ultimately admit that none of us really know what heaven looks like. <laughs> none of us really know what it's going to be all about. We have the glorious metaphors of heaven in scripture. We have the reports of people who have had near death experiences but ultimately, we have to confess the truth that none of us really know what heaven is going to be and what it's going to be about. We can only speak of it in these broad terms using words like deliverance. We've got those metaphors. We've got those depictions. We've got Jesus' promise of the many rooms in the mansion. But more often than not, what we have to admit to ourselves is that what we imagine about the hereafter is based more on our literary reflections and our conjectures about what it will look like. And so we've manufactured the cloud and the harps and the angels with halos and all of those other things that sound actually profoundly boring. <laughs> and my favorite depiction, I, was, I have to tell you that my favorite depiction of heaven comes not from the scriptures, but from C.S. Lewis. I think Lewis has captured something by capturing the spirit of what the scriptures say. And if you've ever read either of his books that kind of deal with the afterlife, in fiction, I mean, his book, The Great Divorce, which is about that bus trip from hell to heaven, phenomenal book, and the last in his Chronicles of Narnia series, The Last Battle. Lewis, to me, makes the most sense of, of any of the depictions and literature that I've read of heaven. And he really pretty much points to the continuation of a glorious journey of growing in our knowledge of God, that eternity is about not getting someplace and putting our feet up with the control and the cup holder on our barca lounger but it's about growing in our knowledge of God and, and growing in our knowledge of ourselves. And it's an eternity of the experience of entering into the vastness, the absolute unfathomable reality of God's love and going deeper and deeper and farther and farther. And so when Lewis talks about the journey of heaven, he uses this phrase, further up and further in, that we just keep going and it just keeps expanding. And in the last battle, as the entourage is approaching the gates of heaven, he says some things that I, I want to read for you in the last battle. And so I'm just going to take a couple of snippets from the last 20 or so pages. And he says, further up and further in, roared the unicorn, and no one held back. They charged straight at the foot of the hill and then found themselves running up it almost as water from a broken wave runs up a rock at the point of some bay. 
Though the slope was nearly as steep as the roof of a house and the grass as smooth as a bowling green, no one slipped. Only when they had reached the very top did they slow up. That was because they found themselves facing great golden gates. And for a moment, none of them was bold enough to try if the gates would open. They all felt just as they had felt about the fruit. Dare we? Is it right? Can it be meant for us? But while they were standing thus, a great horn, wonderfully loud and sweet, blew from somewhere inside that walled garden, and the gates swung open. The very first thing after they walked through the gates, the very first thing which struck everyone was that the place was far larger than it had seemed from the outside. But no one had time to think about that, for people were coming up to meet the newcomers from every direction. And soon they found themselves all walking together. A great and bright procession it was, up towards the mountains, higher than you could see in this world, even if they were to be seen. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Now I wanna go there. <laughs> further up and further in, bigger than we ever could have imagined the beginning of a great story that goes on forever. The experience of deliverance into a bigger place that just keeps getting bigger and we just keep experiencing that deliverance over and over again. And that experience is not unlike the experience of deliverance we have in this life. Because as we find ourselves freed from that constricted place that the psalmist talks about and ushered into the broad and open space, we suddenly feel the energy to move on and to explore what's ahead of us. God's revelation of himself in this life is a foreshadowing of what we will know over and over again in eternity. And we experience in those little hints of glory in this life that tell us the truth of and prepare us for not some static experience of rest, but for an active, growing eternity of joyous discovery as we grow in our relationship with God and with others. And I believe that the experience of Pentecost was one such experience for the early church. It was a deliverance into a broad and open space. And Peter gives witness to this in his sermon. And that's what he does. He brilliantly brings in Old Testament texts and points then to Jesus as the fulfillment of those texts and points especially to the resurrection and says, this is what it's about, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what has released us into the broad and open space. And so he says to people, this isn't drunkenness but it is an altered state. It is something new. It is something you don't normally experience. It's an experience 
of the bigger truth. It's an experience of a deeper reality, an experience of the boundary-breaking reality of God's presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God's freedom. It's the experience that the prophet Joel gave witness to at the end of a great locust plague, which had destroyed everything, where Joel predicted the outpouring of a spirit that would comfort and raise up in the midst of that devastation. This is a new thing that has roots, in other words, in a past of prophecy. This is a promise of God that he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. An expansion of the promise of God's steadfast love to include the many and not just the few. And we have to take note especially that Peter makes sure that men and women are included in this promise. Not just a male passed on promise, but that all creation, all flesh, your sons and your daughters, your manservants and your maidservants will all receive this. And the young and the old will be inspired to think about the new thing and to move toward it. It feels brand new, but actually it's something that inspired David's psalms of praise. And it's a story, however, that's not about David as the only king or the most important king. But it's ultimately a story that points to Jesus, a story about the resurrection. And with this resurrection, a great work of deliverance has taken place. That's what Peter's sermon is all about. And when people hear it, when people put those pieces together, they are, as Luke tells us, cut to the quick because connections are made and then the question comes, which is the question that's before us every single day that we contemplate what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, which is, so what shall we do? What difference does this make and how do we behave? And Peter's response is the same way he told you to. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. In other words, turn around. And that's what the word repent means in both Hebrew and Greek. It's simply just turn around and look at this one who is inviting you to new life. Turn around, face into the face of Jesus, follow him and receive the Holy Spirit. This is the fulfillment of God's promise to you. So take up the journey, answer the invitation that John the Baptist gave you, that all the prophets gave you, that Jesus himself gave you. Repent for the kingdom of God has drawn near and live into the truth of the resurrection. It was an experience of deliverance into a new thing. But it wouldn't be the only one. And it wouldn't be the last one. And as we read on in the book of Acts, we see this young church just continuing to discover, oh, it's bigger than I thought. It's more inclusive than I thought. Oh, it's more expansive than I ever, ever dreamed. Look at this. 
And Peter's story is one of the best examples. Here is this sort of founding father, if you will, of the church who is giving this phenomenal sermon on which sermons are based even today. And yet, how much bigger it was by the end of Peter's life for Peter than it was even on this day. And we see him learning as we go through the book of Acts and he suddenly begins to understand, oh, this is for the Gentiles too. Really? Yes, Peter, really. <laughs> it's bigger. It's not just for Israel. It's Peter growing into a sense of how much more expansive and universal were the implications of the, the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what's true for all of us. It's never statically reduced to our dogma. It's always bigger than our descriptions of it. It's an invitation to keep going further up and further in. It's the continuation of Jesus' primary call to us. Follow me. Come and see. What shall we do? Well, we'll practice resurrection. We'll live into this. We'll keep following. We'll keep growing. And so as the passage that I read this morning ends, and so they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship to the breaking of the bread and prayers. They hung out and said, boy, what does this mean? And talked about that with one another. And friends, I need to tell you, if you're not talking about your faith and what it means to follow Jesus with other followers, you are being hurt. And that's why we have church, so that we can do that conversation, so that we can share those experiences, so that we can encourage one another, so that we can, as my favorite passage in Hebrews says, not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another, and all the more as the day draws near, and to stir one another up to love and good works. That prayer that I read at the beginning, I want to reread now, the Colossians prayer of Paul. It's a phenomenal prayer about essentially praying for the spiritual growth of that congregation. And listen to the marvelously circular reality, or maybe a helix would be a better image, the sense of coming around to the same things again and again and again, and that opening our lives up to something bigger and, and something higher. But Paul says, for this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. For he has rescued us from the power of darkness. And I love the other translation of it in the RSV. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. We've been delivered into a broad and open space. 
And God will keep delivering us into the bigger and bigger and bigger spaces. So follow. Come and see. Keep our eyes focused on the one who is out in front of us, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God in glory. Let's pray. Enlarge our imaginations and our hearts, Lord, that we can see just a portion of how big it is and therefore open our hearts to a world that needs the same thing. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.